The Digital Salon is a curation of listening experiences produced by the alumni and affiliated members of the Urban Humanities Initiative at UCLA. Even as urban space reinvents the enclosure, season two seeks out collectives situated in the city. If our first season asked how the pandemic is a portal, in our second we asked how, within such a time, can we gather? And what do we share? In this podcast that we call Collective, we tune into the knowledge that communal work transmits in polyvocal frequencies and interlocking scales. We're your hosts. I'm Gus Wendell. And I'm Jacqueline Barrios. And for our 11th episode, UHI alumni and urban planning master student Eliza Franklin explores the Black Matrix Collective, reimagining the ways in which Black folks attain their higher self through internal and external healing. Transition into joy is stagnating. Past trauma, hurt feelings, bad decisions contemplated. Upliftment to heights unknown, unseen. Anything dying can't grow. So I just be, believe and hope for brighter days where this sunken hole consuming me will evaporate, condensation into swollen rain clouds and disperse back on my being from Yahweh to my soul, the captain of my dreams, birthing a revelation of restoration and undue chaos, words liberating the people, hoping to redeem more than my former self, but the justice, That is just us only trying to survive. According to the Merriam-Webster Dictionary, a matrix is defined as something within or from which something else originates, develops, or takes form. An atmosphere of understanding and friendliness that is the matrix of peace, a mold from which relief is made. And so I would like to explain this podcast that's coming into formation to be a body of work that speaks to these seeming silos of resistance, these spatial imaginaries across the spectrum that are in fact not silos, but they're one collective form of resistance And this matrix then therefore becomes a space of relief, right? A space of healing, not just for individuals, but for communal healing for black folks, queer and alike to come together and have this moment of restoration that does not exist uh, through the lens of double consciousness where you are in fact often questioning yourself because you see yourself through the eyes of those who are the oppressors, right? So this body of work just seeks to speak to the healing, the communal healing. And lastly, to highlight this door of no return that Black folks were forced to cross over the seas and abroad into. Yet this door of return has been closed and reimagined by those who had no voice in the past.
great, great. Um, I'm so happy. First off, I want to thank you for even taking this time out to sit and talk to me today. Um, and um, giving you a little backstory about the project. So essentially, my name is Liza. Um, I'm a student at UCLA. How are, and how are you today, Liza? I'm well, you know, kicking anxiety in the behind. So, yes, you are. Yes. <laughs> Breathe in between and just keep moving, even if you got to go slow. Well, thank you. Thank you. I appreciate that. No problem. Um, yeah, so essentially, I'm a student at UCLA, and I'm currently a part of something called the UHI Collect Series. And so, you know, something that came to me was really this idea to look at something I call the Black Matrix, right? Uh, and so I saw you, one of the, uh, some of it centered around looking at, you know, resistance rap, self-made clothing, Black church music, spoken word art, murals, natural hair, meditation, um, and the use of marijuana. And so all of those are different areas or different things. And so we're to interview one person in particular. Um, and your profile stood out and I love poetry and I love your poetry that I've seen, right? And you just seem to be a phenomenal person being um, that's, that's your experience is centered around healing, right? Yes, yes. Um, and I feel as though healing is resistance. And so I want to begin by saying um, kudos to you. And I would like to ask you as it pertains to your Insta profile, I notice you have painter, poet, and light worker. And so I would like to begin on having you expound on what you deem to be a light worker, right? What does that consist of? Absolutely. Everything that you need. Okay, let me get this set. For sure. However I can support. Well, thank you. Okay. I well, first of all, before I answer that question, just thank you for the work that you're doing um, and for making this topic something that you want to document and cover yeah. and do research on. And I'm, I'm really honored that you related to what I'm doing because my whole intention is for people to see that this is a space, however they catch it, for them to express, release, heal, um, and find a way to contribute to this greater movement that's happening. So I feel like it, it makes me feel very grateful and fulfilled that my intention is being met by you even like reaching out in this way. So yeah, just thank you for that, for well, seeing me. <laughs> well, thank you. Thank you for just being you, right? Just being. Oh, thank you, thank you. And in terms of light worker, what does light worker mean? You know, I think there's a term that I've come across. It's a term I've come across over the years in my spiritual journey. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course, right now I'm calling our organization and our movement healing because I think that's something that deeply resonates based on the amount of trauma and difficulty and death that we're in so many forms that we're navigating. Um, but when it comes to my personal work, my goal is to move into a place of light work because sometimes when we say we're a healer, we're expressing that we have something that we do that heals the other person as if that person's to be fixed. And sometimes, as much as that's true, to an extent, really, everyone's a healer. Everyone's mm. their own healer. And I don't want to create this thing of, I'm the healer, I have the superpower, and I'm going to help you. I just want to be a light worker. I want to be someone who can reflect and work with the light within each person and remind them that they have the ability to heal themselves. So even though I like to use the terminology healing to kind of initially grasp people in, for me, light work is really what it's all about in terms of the actual power of language and the mm -hmm. power of our words to ensure that 
I really, I don't feel that I'm someone who has a superpower. I feel like we all have a superpower and I'm just doing my work to tap into my own mm. and do my best to shine and be an inspiration to reminding other folks that they have that too. Um, and so I think that for me, being a light worker is focusing on the light, focusing, excuse me, on the good and the, the solutions and the magic and the beauty of what we are mm-hmm. and, and expressing that through my poetry, through my painting through my spirituality and through my social justice work. Oh, wow. That, that was deep. Uh, and saying, yeah, it's deep real quick. <laughs> and saying that you're a light worker, I, I truly um, got that, as you said that, right? That really resonated. And so when you speak of healing, right? I noticed that's the, the title of your event series that you founded, right? Um, so expounding upon this idea of healing, right? Is does real healing for you look like something that's communal, individual, or both? Right? Oh, all of the above. All of the above. Okay. And you know, one of the biggest things about it is in my journey as a woman, as a person, as a queer woman, I identify as queer. Um, I felt that I I just couldn't help but not want to do this work, right? Sometimes mm-hmm. as black folks and people of color, our this is our life. Mm-hmm. It's not like do I have an option? I'm thinking about this every day. It's it's in my spirit. Um, and in that though, I still have a lot of my own feeling to do. So even though this is just my personal experience and I feel called to, um, working in healing work, I individually have to continue to heal my traumas, the experiences I've had so that I can understand what other people need, you know? And I also, um, in my journey, I'm uh, healing myself. I've realized that there's certain issues. Like I'm having different folks in community tell me their experiences and I'm like, oh, I'm having that experience. Mm -hmm. So I can better understand and be a conduit of, okay, well, what does it look like? I think we don't have to be perfect to do healing work. We Mm -hmm. don't have to be fully healed to help others. We're Mm -hmm. always a work in progress. And healing is not linear. Healing isn't just one, two, three, four. Mm -hmm. Sometimes something in your childhood will come back and you got to work through that. You thought you did that already. Mm -hmm. So we're always going to be working through something. And for me, first, definitely, if not simultaneously, the individual healing for myself and everyone individually, especially in pandemic, especially in a time of isolation when we have to do our own practices. However, I also immensely believe in collective healing. For us to be in mass together, be at a protest, any kind of protest, whether Mm -hmm. it's mine or any other, is incredibly healing. You get to express your anger, your your frustration. You get to hear your elders speak. You get to make sure that your voice is heard to the powers that be um, in whatever way, shape, and form speaks to you. So for me, the collective protest is a beautiful collective healing mm-hmm. that reminds folks, you know what? I'm not alone in how I feel. There are other people who feel like this. There's now press coverage, and we get to create a collective narrative to shift culture because oftentimes people don't think it's possible until they see it yes. in a big way. So I think collective healing is incredibly important. Um, and, and I believe not only, of course, individual healing, but creating expressions of collective healing so that we can be reminded of hope, inspiration. And of course, just even on an energetic level, we've got to feel each other. You know, if you're mm. outside, even if it's 10 feet apart, but there's 30 of y'all or 300 of y'all, mm. you can feel the difference than when you're by yourself. And mm. I think we all need that. We need both. Mm. True. We all need it. And so thinking about this idea of us not being alone, right? Us not being in these silos of suffering. Um, and thinking of Black lives mattering, right? Being birthed from um, this idea of a matrix, right? 
And Merriam-Webster defines a matrix as something within or from something else originates, develops, or takes form in the atmosphere of understanding, friendliness. Um, that is the matrix of peace, right? And essentially a mold from which relief is made, right? Um, and so the mold that you have created for peace as a collective, how, how what did it look like for you coming to this this um, space of reconciliation and healing and formulated, right? Um, was a period of time, was it something one day that just hit you? Um, were these gifts that just um, built upon each other as you utilize them? Like what was your aha moment um, of your collective uh, reconciliation with, with what you do? Mm. That's a beautiful question. And I love that you express the matrix aspect as well. Like what matrix are we part of and co-creating? Mm -hmm. um, you know, I think for most of my life, I've always been a very spiritual and prayerful person. Mm -hmm. And I've always been someone who's drawn to social justice work and politics, like always. And so as I've developed as an individual, I had different areas of working with nonprofit or organizing marches or studying healing practitioner practices and meditation. And, you know, so I think over my life, absolutely, I've just, that's just who I am. And it's part of the work that I do and how I work in my career. But last year, there was a very specific moment. It was the week that we first started protesting. I was there on Fairfax, you know, when we had that first weekend of protests in June mm -hmm. in response to George Floyd that turned into riots. Mm -hmm. I mean, I saw it happen in front of me and that whole week you know tanks were going down my street in long beach and that whole week i couldn't sleep and i i was i laughed and i say i love to sleep i could sleep through anything <laughs> but i could not sleep that week i was just i felt like i was up at 4 a.m every night watching the world transform before our eyes mm -hmm. and at some point my spirit i didn't feel stressed so i didn't feel anxious i didn't feel afraid i felt a really strange sense of calm because something came over me and said you know this protest is magnificent. This is really important. This is impactful. This is just unprecedented. This is historic. But we also need something else. We need to feel this sense of peace too. Mm -hmm. And I thought, and I had a vision of like everyone in white at a protest mm -hmm. near the ocean. Oh, I said, wow, wow this is really, like, how, do I, how do I make this happen? Yes. So I started talking to friends and there was actually another group of people who had a very similar vision. So within like two and a half, three weeks, by June 21st, we had put together our first day of healing. That mm -hmm. was like a big protest. Over a thousand people came in white, we had speakers, artists, performers, and the main thing that we did, and we meditated together, um, but the main thing that we did is we offered offerings to the ocean, which is a very traditional West African practice mm -hmm. of taking flowers to the ocean, which has many meanings. So I had a very specific vision that was a, a vision that many people had. And I just feel great, grateful that I got to work on that and that as a collective, we made it happen together. And this has just been um, something that has just continued to be grown upon. So for me, there was a very specific moment in the midst of so much protest that was very, there, there's a lot of sadness and grief, but if we only stay in the sadness, the anger and the grief space, we'll, we'll tire ourselves out. We'll burn out. Mm -hmm. So for me, I wanted to have a protest that also catches a different demographic, you know, gives a different, you can go to the march in black with your fists and then you can come the next day to the day of healing and white and you can meditate and mm -hmm. both are important. And I wanted to help create an addition to, there's nothing new. There's nothing like I'm, doing something better than something else, no, no way, shape, or form. I think all of us are adding to something that's needed more of. Because when Black Lives Matter started years ago, it was very controversial to go to a march. It was sometimes very controversial. Some folks were stopping the freeway, yes. and it was a lot more taboo. Mm -hmm. Now it's more popular, but even if it's more popular, Breonna Taylor still doesn't have justice, mm -hmm. right? You know, George Floyd still doesn't have justice. You can't pay people off 
to mm-hmm. call, and call it justice. So we still have work to do. And that's why I'm, I'm very passionate about being an example of that. We all can contribute even more. Um, and this is my way. This is my specific lane of how I feel I can contribute. Okay. Well, um, I know that we're on a time limited interview. So I, oh, sorry. I, I, I go on and on. I was, no, I no, 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 no. Not you. Not you. Look, as long as you want to talk, I'm going to listen. Um, okay. But I wanted to speak to this idea, right? Um, Notice you mentioned a tradition, right? An African tradition. And so thinking of this idea of expressed uh, linked fate, right? That people who are darker than the sun negotiate, right? Um, I want to ask you, I see that you visited Ghana, right? So I'm curious as to inquire about this you visiting the actual door of no return and this metaphoric door of no return that, uh, that exists for African-Americans within America, right? And, oh, and how do you wow. reconcile those two? Mm, I'm, I'm so grateful and honored that you looked into that and saw, mm-hmm. and saw that because it's something that at the time I didn't get a lot of footage of. Mm-hmm. And I, I mean, and now it's a big trend, like even the president of Ghana is calling folks to come back and turn. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time in 2008, when I went, I, I, I really want to bring that narrative back because it was extremely powerful. I was um, a study abroad student at Cal State uh, Pomona, Cal mm-hmm. Poly Pomona. And I went with my wonderful mentor, Dr. Reese, R-E-E-S-E. Mm-hmm. And um, he was very adamant about bringing students to Africa. And so we went to Ghana. And when we went to the door of no return, it was, probably one of the darkest and most visceral experiences I've ever had in my life. You know, mm. I, here, I, here I was standing where millions, like tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of slaves, uh, enslaved Africans, captured Africans, were brought through. And when they walked out of that gate, they didn't return. Mm. You know, they didn't return to that shore. And that's how, that's, I'm connected to that legacy. That's how my people and my African-American culture was developed, because these people survived. They survived slavery. They survived colonialism uh, throughout the diaspora. And here I am coming to return. It, it, it was it was so dark. And I mean, I even had a stench. Like it still smelled. Mm. The, the, the slave castle smelled. And so it was painful, but it was powerful because here I am, a much more liberated person, African-American identified person coming back to that moment. And what's so interesting is in that same year in 2008, which is also the year Obama was elected, it was a really powerful year. Mm-hmm. Um, Obama was elected that year. Um, and also that same fall did a visiting exchange at Howard University. So mm. I got to go to Howard University and study. And my professor, Dr. Carr, Dr. Greg Carr, C-A-R-R, uh, of African-American studies, he took us to New York. He took us on a day field trip from D.C. to New York. We all got on a bus, 30 or 40 students. And we went to a monument called the Door of Return, where on Wall Street in New York, they had found enslaved African um, burial site. And it really helped people prove, you know, Wall Street in the North wasn't just this like free place. No, they had enslaved Africans too that mm-hmm. helped build what is now modern day Wall Street. And so there's a door of return that acknowledges the contributions of Africans and acknowledges the contributions of, of Black peoples to the development of this country. And it's kind of like a, it's a memorial. It's a memorial there in New York. So in the same year that I visit the door of no return, I visit the door of return. And it it was all that to say that changed my body, my mind, my heart, my soul. The story in itself is so symbolic of under of understanding that there are so many stories that have been tried to be forgotten. There are stories that are tried to be suppressed. And the only way that we can really 
understand what has happened and correct it is if we return and as if we know our own history and as if we have those spiritual and physical experiences as people of color and also have those stories to tell everyone. So for me, it's essential. And, and the last thing I'll say is there's a concept Sankofa. Sankofa is a, a, a concept from Ghana. It's personified as earth. It's depicted as a little symbol of a bird walking forward, but the head is turned backward, Sankofa. And Sankofa means in order for you to move forward to your future, you need to go back to your past. You need to look back to your past. And that is a very common symbol that's used in civil rights movements and a lot of African-American culture now. So for me, it was very much that 2008 for me was Sankofa. And that was something that changed me as a person and, it, and empowers me still to, to do what I'm doing now. Mm-hmm. Well. I completely concur. I had the opportunity to go there. Oh, in, in Ghana? Yes. Last, oh, wonderful. last quarter. So that stench that you speak of, oh. it, you can never erase that from your cellular memory, right? Yes. Even absolutely. though I'm back in America, it, 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 I'm forever changed. And I feel like I right. had an awakening. And with that being absolutely. said, my last, I have two requests. My last question would be this. Um, there's a gospel song that says, um, let's get back to Eden and live on top of the world, right? My family's blessed, my seed is blessed. Um, and so for the people that might be listening to this podcast and listening to you and listening to this idea of we can be healed, right? There's a sanctuary, there's a space for us um, all to be free. What would you say to those who are feeling right now during this time of quarantine that there's no way out, right? And they, they, they are unsure of who they are. They don't even have the knowledge of who they are. What would you say to them about them finding their exodus to eat it? Mm, I think one of the most important concepts is that it exists at all. You know, Eden does it, our own Eden, our own heavens. I have a um, painting series I, I published and started in a, a 2019 called Heaven Here. Mm. And I think the first thing we have to do is before we can even know who we are, we have to even believe that something better is possible. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the biggest reasons that we struggle so much into, up until this moment is because people are apathetic. They didn't really believe they're jaded institution. Even now people are kind of getting jaded again. Okay, Biden's in office, but we're still doing some of the same stuff. Mm-hmm. And so I think people get jaded and apathetic and it and it disempowers them from believing in their own Eden or in their 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 highest version of themselves, their purpose. And I think the biggest thing is to say, no, this is possible. You look for the solution. You can look for the problem all day long. You can see that everywhere. We have a culture that focuses on fear and spins media stories off of fear, but when you can have the audacity to look for a solution, which is, again, why I love to do this protest that is very celebratory and healing and peaceful. And you know, all protest is inherently generally peaceful, but, you know, that is kind of vibrating in that way. Mm-hmm. It's because I want to create a physical experience. Of, like you said, that visceral experience. You have that visceral experience of that stench and that pain. Mm-hmm. I want to create a visceral experience of bliss and harmony. Because what's the, what's the opposite of... Of, of dissent and, and, and duality and polarity of experience and politics is harmony. How can we have a harmonious world? Well, let's experience that. And so I, I, I dare people to, first of all, just believe that something can be better than this. And that's the same kind of spirit that propelled Harriet Tubman or propelled Biddy Mason or propelled all of our different ancestors who who were, and can you imagine, can we even imagine what that was like for our ancestors to be enslaved, to even be just post-slavery time and still have a thought that 
you know, my son or daughter can go to college. My son or daughter can live free. My son or daughter can own land, can own property. We have to have the audacity, like, you know, Barack Obama's book, we have to have the audacity to hope, the audacity to believe that that's even possible. So my biggest thing is, first of all, start with belief. What is your concept of harmony? Go and find that. And then let that lead you to become who you want, who you could be. You know, I think that and that and I think it's a duty that we have as well, because we wouldn't have what we have. Even us as folks now who are still fighting racism and still dismantling racism, we we sit on we stand on on shoulders, many shoulders. We we stand in privilege because there are people who came before us that enabled us to have this. And so I think it's also our duty to believe in something more and know that we absolutely have a purpose and we absolutely get to discover who we are. Wow, so true. Um, everything you just said just really <laughs> leaves me feeling empowered for sure. Oh, wonderful. Um, are there any closing words that you have or any sentiments that you personally wanted to share? Um, I always like to, as for the most part, come back to gratitude. You know, I'm grateful for you and you pursuing a dream of yours at UCLA and you taking the energy to go back to Ghana. And for those of you who are putting this project together, I'm, I'm immensely grateful that we are creating language, literature, podcasts, documentation, research, creating our own narrative. Because especially as women as well, and Black women who often don't, you know, now we're doing better about it, but often have always been behind things, making sure things happen. You know, I think as women and as Black women and as feminine peoples, you know, it's it's so important that we create opportunities for our stories to be told and to have these powerful conversations. And, you know, the more conversations that we have like this, I think it's an energetic and vibrational shift. I think it's a very literal and physical shift. And I think we get to rewrite, we get to write our own history or her story. You know, it's Women's Her Story Month. So it's March right now. So I, I'm very grateful that we're even having this conversation and that you all are passionate about this. And, and I'm, I'm just going to even claim and grateful that we do get to live in a world where we can really feel that our government and our society is actually there for us and does protect us and does support us and serve us, not something that is, you know, harming us and, and trying to control and keep us down. So I'm, I'm grateful that we are in the process of um, our own collective liberation um, through, through this kind of conversation. So that's, that's my closing. And then that's what I'm dedicated to, to doing in my own way. And I'm, I'm very grateful to, to, to be um, interviewed about this and to, share my perspective even for me this has been enlightening <laughs> and a beautiful reminder of, of what i'm up to and what we're all up to well i just close out by saying ashe 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 oh yes 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 while the reaction of that crowd as word spread derek chauvin guilty on all three counts guilty on all three counts
tune in next week for the next episode of the Digital Salon Podcast, The Collective. To discover the archive behind this episode, visit our website, digitalsalonpodcast.com. It's so sweet, it's so nice.